In this week's episode, Tony is joined by Nant Nissen. Nant is involved in the health, wellbeing and fitness industries for well over three decades and continues her mission to help people love their life and really thrive. Nant is the founder of WeHub, using the foundations of holistic health and wellbeing with the frame of community, connection and care to help individuals, corporate teams and sporting clubs perform at their peaks while combining connection and care, enabling the like-minded community to thrive. WeHub is currently focused on communities for men, workplaces, and those with ADHD, providing education, guidance, support, and accountability to ensure community members have a safe space to achieve their goals, health, and well-being, and to be themselves. Today's an insightful podcast, and we hope you enjoy. Nance Nissen, welcome to the Copcom Bond podcast. Thank you for coming into the office today. Thank you for we, having me. We have had a few technical issues, but we're, we're finally there getting this recorded on Teams, but face to face, which was quite interesting. So Nance, as per your bio, which we've just read out, you do work, uh, in predominantly men's health, mm-hmm. um, and in holistic health. So it's not like, for example, just personal trainer helping us get fit and healthy. You actually do work in, total holistic health uh, for both individuals and also in corporates as well. Yes. Um, how long have you been doing this now? I have been doing this for three decades. Okay, then. Just a little bit over now. Okay, so so you are very well known, obviously, for it as well. And Long time. You have been, and you've, you've helped some people with some wonderful results. But can we talk about, say, that journey in, in respect to uh, what you do with men? Can you give us a bit of an idea, say, as a 54-year-old male executive um, who works long hours and things like that and has a couple of children and family, et cetera, where areas that you could come in and sort of help someone who, you know, business owner in my position in respect to getting that balance, I suppose, yeah, use of a better word in life? It's really important and even – when men come into the community, what I teach them is not to follow a diet, is not to follow anything in particular. Um, I'll just preface that by saying unless it's a therapeutic plan um, by a professional such as myself, but learning what your body needs and wants and when, learning how to communicate with your body. So we want to put men in a position that they're doing what's right for them all the time. They know what their body's telling them and what they're doing fits into their lifestyle and their work and it's not difficult for them. So we don't want people restricting themselves. We don't want diets that are difficult. We want people to learn what foods are best for me. We want people to learn what does inflammation mean? How does that affect me? What foods contribute to that? How do I listen to my body? So I always work with the four pillars. There's, it's like a, the foundations of a house. There's physical, mental, emotional, soulful. Yep. Soulful being, look, it could be your religion, it could be your football club. Okay. Something larger than yourself. Yeah. Um, and we always work with those four pillars. And when those four pillars are strong and sound, the structure on top can weather any storm. Yep. Okay. And we have the community built because I firmly believe that people are societal creatures. Where we need each other and there's everything good about needing each other, nothing bad. Yeah. Um, and we need community and connection, care and compassion and curiosity with each other. And we need to bring that back because since a few years ago, that's really been. Has that really been lost, you know, from, uh, you know, your experience? Is that, 
sort of been lost in the world of social media. And especially I look at my children who are 27 and 24 and they don't seem to be addicted to social media. But my youngest does like his video games and he socialises online with people all around the world playing a video game, not actually face-to-face. Yeah. So has that sense of community or, or tribal in respect to a good thing, uh, you know, not necessarily some of the tribal wars that are going on at the moment, mm-hmm. but um, has, do, you, do you find that has been lost quite a lot recently? Absolutely. Yeah. And but I'm assuming you work with men of all different ages as well. Yes. Yeah. And, look, I, I completely understand that the world is different and, you know, that's... When we were growing up. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's just the way it is now. Yeah. But... We have to put some, some perspective back and give people what they need, which is people. You know, it's very, very different even, and I really appreciate Zoom and Teams. Mm. You know, I've got clients overseas and I wouldn't be able to do that otherwise. Yeah. But there's a point that we have to say connection and community have to come over convenience because we're losing uh, a lot of our health and areas in society that are so fantastic and what people need to be healthy. Yeah. When when we talk about um, mental health, and we were talking earlier off air, um, for example, I know I set myself up, well, the healthier I am physically, I know the happier I am, number one. Absolutely. Um, but for me, my mental health is my main priority. So I've been doing meditation, and you could call it religiously, for 15 years now. And what... I've found really interesting. It's helped me stay focused and stay calm in that eye of the storm. And probably more recently, over the last three or four years, I had a couple of really great teachers, uh, ex-monks, but they really made it even deeper for me as well. So I find if mentally I'm doing well and very sharp, mm-hmm. getting out of bed early and the physical side works really well, and then that actually provides me far more energy to get through the day in a real positive way, yeah. as an example. You know, and, and some days I'm here in suit and tie, and other days, like today, I'm just a pair of jeans. Absolutely. You know, so it's – um but – the 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 idea of getting through that day is I know my day is far better if I have done that sport in the morning. For me, sport in the morning or my breath work, my meditation and, say, going swimming in the morning or jumping on the treadmill as an example, it gives me the dopamine rush, the endorphin rush, those chemical rushes that we, that we yes. speak about. But for me, it's also my solitude. No one can talk to me when I'm swimming. I got my earplugs in. We spoke about that before. You said you just got water. water <laughs> at the moment. Uh, but no one can. It's, it's when I'm in my flow. And is that something that, as busy business people, people talk about dad bobs and think all mm-hmm. the rest of it. But is that something where, when you're so caught up in life and business and things like that, that you start to lose that flow? You start to lose all those other areas. I think you start to lose yourself. Yeah. And Explain that a bit more. The, the four pillars yeah. are all intertwined. So, you know, we know that breathing deeply gives you more energy. We know that um, having muscles makes you be able to sit at a desk all day with, without headaches and backaches. Yeah. You know, we, we know that gut health, you know, naturopaths have been speaking about this for 30 years, 50 years. Mm. Gut health is integral to mental health. Well, so it's the second brain as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so how does it's it, all so, so if you touch on that with gut health, because a lot of people – you know, they're hearing more about it over the last couple of years, I suppose. But it's, you know, they, they talk about gut health being that second brain in, in a way too. But how does your, you know, inflammation, as an example, affect your mental health and, and physical health? It's huge. Inflammation is at the root cause of every single chronic illness. Yeah. That's where it all starts. So 
you know, obviously we do things in life that cause inflammation exercise, mm. but it's the pros outweigh the cons. But that's building muscle. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the things that we do now that we don't counteract in other areas, there's just too much of that. So, you know, you were saying how does being so focused on life and not ourselves affect our flow? It it makes us stagnant mm. because we haven't got the ability to respond to life in a good in a positive way. We haven't got the ability to respond to life's events or challenges um, in a way that we would really like. And a lot of people find themselves just reacting through life because when you're turning up and you've got headaches or you're aching or you're you're feeling 20 years older than you are, yeah, you're just not going to respond to things. The same way. Yeah. And it's interesting. I was talking over lunch with a colleague of mine and talking about some of the guys I went to school with. And, you know, we're all off sort of within a 12 month age uh, difference of each other. And you actually have a look at some of them and some have aged unbelievably well. Yeah. Uh, look after themselves and, you know, and actually, you know, just, just have this vibrance and spark about them and still communicate well and, and just are happy in general. Um, you know, seem to seem to have good lives all switched on. And then you've seen some others who have done themselves no favours yeah. whatsoever. You know, the, these are the guys who might have been the cool kids at school, and we're talking all boys' school, might have been the cool kids who, you know, at 15 were smoking a packet of cigarettes a day yeah. and were drinking. All the, and you look at them now and you think, wow. You're giving that, yourself a hard time. You have. You know, I, will you actually reach 60? So is it is it a case that sometimes you can do so much damage to yourself it's too late, or is this everything actually helping you can actually you, turn things the around? The body is the most incredible healer. Yeah. Given the right environment. Yeah. You know, when you, when you go into the garden and you cut your finger, if you provide the right environment, you can almost watch it heal over a week. Yeah. If you leave it dirty and, and don't clean it, you can watch it get infected. Yeah. The same thing happens on the inside. Mm. We just need the right environment to provide that for our bodies. Yeah. And I think, unfortunately, the fitness industry hasn't done itself any favours. A lot of people think, oh, I couldn't think of anything worse than going to the gym or, you know, eating rabbit food. How mm. boring. Well, quality of life to me is the most important Absolutely. thing. Absolutely, yeah. Health. So health and fitness are two very different things. Mm-hmm. So that's really important. A yeah. lot of people will say, oh, I go to the gym, you know, five days a week and, I'm, you know, I'm, this is the weight I am. And the amount of people I've seen over 30 years that go to the gym and are actually quite unwell yeah. is incredible. Yeah. So fitness is not health. Fitness yeah. is an integral part of health. Yes. Um, and I think we've been taught fairly poorly over the years about what it takes to be healthy and whether it's enjoyable. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so is it, I mean, you have a look at some people where aesthetically they look very good, uh, but their organs are a mess. They can you know, be hurt inside. Yeah, and, and their mental health can be a complete mess as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah, so is, and it's, and I think once again, if we go back to, which I seem to harp on a lot in these podcasts, but go back to social media, you're inundated where everyone's life just looks like, you know, absolutely magnificent, you know, and it's, and it's, oh, look at this photo. I can make myself a little bit taller, a little bit thinner and a little bit more tanned or, you know, so it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So are we, are we caught up in that world now where we're just 
looking at other people's lives and starting to feel resentment where, you know, we go to the gym for a week and say, well, nothing's changed. So, you know, it just doesn't work for me or. Absolutely. I did it that instantaneous gratification in a way. Yeah. We've been taught, you know, when you go to sign up at a gym, often you'll get told, look, you'll start seeing results in eight to 12 weeks. Yeah. If you focus on the right things, you'll see results immediately. Yes. You'll feel proud as soon as you walk into the gym. It doesn't even have to be the gym, whatever you're doing. Yeah. You will feel energy as soon as the air fills your lungs. You'll feel excited as soon as the endorphins run through your body. If we focus on that, yeah, the 12 weeks come quickly. Can you actually talk about that endorphin rush, you know, the which can come from a whole range of things, which are, can be very unhealthy habits. Absolutely. Like drugs, you know, heroin and well, chocolate and other things yeah. as well. But it's uh, exactly yeah, right. But, but obviously um, you can have what they would commonly call the runner's high. Yeah. You know, you finish run, you're just on a high. And, and I often mean, uh, you know, as you know, I used to coach it. is. And from my past background, but also through uh, coaching people as well, I've always said to people, it doesn't matter how you feel before run, but I've never known anyone to finish a run and say, I wish I never did that. Absolutely. When you're on such a high, you can't say, oh, well, I wish I never did that. And even a bad run, you're still glad that you did it. Yes. You're still glad that you've achieved something. So can you talk, because the dopamine rush is looking forward to it, the endorphin rush is what you get afterwards. Yeah. So can you can you talk about that a bit more and how we can be encouraging ourselves to go and do it when we don't want to, when it's a bit wet in the morning or a bit rainy or a bit cold and it's nicer just uh, sitting in bed and things like that. So And it is. Yeah. But I don't know anyone that is healthy that doesn't feel like that. Yeah. They also don't want to go and do it. Absolutely. So sometimes it's a matter of choose your heart. Mm. Choose not liking being in your body all day and being uncomfortable. Or choose getting up earlier and having the discomfort of going to the gym. That's actually what my friend Peter Turin always talks about, where he's got a beautiful saying. He says, it's easy to do, easy not to do. It's your choice. Exactly. Yeah. And it's about standards and values. It's about creating those habits and behaviours in your life that are going to serve you instead of ones that don't. And it's about knowing, well, how do I go about implementing that in my life? Mm. And how do I go about... um, having people around me that are going to support that. Yeah. If I currently don't. Yeah. How do I do it when they're, you know, my partner doesn't want to at all, has no interest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's knowing how do I implement it into my life in a way that suits me, not in a way that men's health magazine says I should do or yeah. Mr. Instagram, who's made his shoulders bigger. Yeah. Says I should do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's really, really crucial that we get people to understand that their natural state is of health and happiness and vitality. doesn't mean we're always healthy, yeah. but happy. Yeah. It, it means that we understand how to process our emotions. I'm assuming then people's roadblocks to achieving whatever it is they need to or want to achieve, uh, as you said, it's the four pillars and they're all intertwined. Yeah. But I'm assuming for some people their roadblocks are different than for other people. My roadblock might be different than, say, George's roadblock. Absolutely. Yeah, but we we all have some type of roadblock that gets stuck. And other, with other people, it's a case of there are certain things that, that highly motivate them where someone else could highly turn them off. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's about getting to those underlying beliefs. How do you how do you try to find or uncover those roadblocks? Well, it's very different if it's one-on-one coaching yeah. compared to um, in the community. but. There are a lot of different strategies, like literally hundreds, mm. and it's about recognising 
who's in your community, listening to them. And once you've really seen and heard them, you know which strategies are going to work for them. Yeah. And it's about them becoming self-aware and conscious and mindful and realising that if I identify as this kind of person, that's not going to serve who I want to become. Yeah. So it's about rebuilding those positive pathways in the mind and changing how you focus your frame. Yeah. Is there a lot of people that just like to do the same thing over and over again but still expect different results all the time? Is, there, is that one that's a lot? I think that's just natural for a lot of people, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. You know, yeah. we think somehow... I'm running every day, but how come I'm not losing weight? Well, maybe it's because of the free donuts you're eating every day as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and so you're, you're, running, you're running not to put on, or you're running not to put on more weight, but yeah, I ran today, I can eat a pizza. Absolutely. So yeah. Happens all the time. The amount of times that I've seen people in the gym come in and say, oh, I went to a lunch, that's it, I'm going to... Thrash myself now, and I think, oh good, no, please, and I, please give me five minutes to tell you why that. Do anything tomorrow. Exactly, yeah. and, and you're inflaming your body more, and and you know what's going on with your eating, and um, you know even bodybuilders say abs are built in the kitchen. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, it, you, yeah. It's it's really important that we re-educate people. I also think, too, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that, you know, it's, I've always been known to have a sweet tooth, but the way to eliminate a sweet tooth is not to eat sweet things. And then all of a sudden you don't have a – or, you know, you might have something which is uh, sweet, like a piece of chocolate, uh, and then you, if you hadn't had any chocolate for six weeks' time, you'd have that exact same piece of chocolate and think, my God, that is so sweet, sickeningly. So all of a sudden it becomes sickeningly sweet um, yeah. as well. And so I, I so is, it, is it sometimes just breaking those habits that we actually have in life which are holding us back as well? Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, it's a really good point you make because so many people do have a sweet tooth and yeah. struggle. Yeah. But I think it's it's – Absolutely crucial that we understand that it is okay to enjoy mm. some sweetness, but to eat mindfully. Yeah. And to understand, are you, are you doing that because you're bored? Are you doing it because you're frustrated? Are you doing it because you're angry with your partner? Yeah. What, yeah. you know, why are you really doing it? Yeah. Once you get to the underlying causes and you can learn how to actually process what's going on with you, mm. then in a healthy way that suits you, a whole new world opens up. Yeah, but also to the, and I found this personal uh, for me, but I found there was a stage there where I used to have a rule that I could only buy a chocolate bar at the service station whenever I was filling up for petrol. But all of a sudden I started filling up for petrol and the tank was only half full. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, um, That's good. And all of a sudden the chocolate bar started to get a little bit bigger and things like that. And then I found at one stage, though, I, I certainly have been known as a stress eater. And I do go, and I do go to the, the bad foods when I'm stressed. And sometimes you do have those days which can be stressful. Um, and when I say the bad foods, the foods that inflame me, which yeah. are foods that I probably enjoy more than anything, so I have to be very cautious of yeah. it. Things like uh, breads, uh, pastas, um, chocolate. Uh, so these these are things that I, I could live off croissants and Toblerone chocolate bars. <laughs> Not I could live off it. I would probably die young. <laughs> so it's, uh, but in saying that, though, they are two of my favourite indulgences. Yeah. But what I found was... On the way home, I started stopping on the corner of on my way home, going back to Kew, and I'd stop on the corner of the 7-Eleven service station on the corner of Johnson Street, and um, I think that's Nicholson there. Um, but I'd stop there.
every night all of a sudden and just go in and buy a chocolate bar and then I'd hide the wrapper. And because I knew I felt guilty about it. But I th- what that's I, how powerful the mind is. With well, I, but I actually found my mind started, I think, tricking me into that stress hormone, yeah. uh, which I knew that I would feel better if I had a piece of chocolate, whereas I actually wasn't stressed. Yeah. But, it's, uh, but, I, but I do know that if I did have that stressful event, I would actually uh, want to stop. And the only way for me at first to actually break that habit was to start driving home a different way. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was like the car automatically went in there. Now I did steer it. But it's, um, so by actually driving home a different way, I found I broke the pattern. And I actually had to consciously do that uh, because I realized, okay, chocolate is not heroin, but geez, it wasn't doing my body any good whatsoever. And I, and I looked at having that stress and then that was my stress relief. Whereas other people might be lighting up a cigarette or going home and having, I don't, I don't smoke, I don't drink. So, you know, going home and having a glass of wine or something like that. When I say I don't drink, I drink socially, which is yeah. very, very rare. You know, maybe once a month type yeah, of thing. Absolutely. So, um, and I haven't been drunk since I was 21. Yeah, you know, my 21st <laughs> birthday. So it's, so what, so from that aspect, it's sometimes identifying, but then having to break. And for me, I actually had to consciously drive home a different way it is a to break out of that habit. But I, th- I think it's one of those things when we restrict ourselves. Yeah. You know, if someone says, don't think about a puppy dog, yes, what are you doing right now? Sort of a very small puppy exactly. Puppy dog. So as soon as you <laughs> say, you can't do this, I'm going to restrict you, the brain says, okay, watch, yeah, watch me. Good luck yeah. with that. Yeah. So it's really important that we use the right strategies that are going to change and rebuild the brain pathways in a way that is a lot easier for us. Um, and it, it's it's important that we understand it, it can be done in a much more enjoyable mm. way because, you know, people, especially at this time of year, uh, okay, so it's third, fourth week in Jan, people are starting to ease off. Their New Year's resolutions, it's starting to mm-hmm. get boring or, you know, yeah. the momentum's not there. And the mind is incredible. If you ident- if you're not starting to change your underlying beliefs and identify as the person you, you want to become, your mind will sabotage you yeah. and keep you stuck. Yeah. And as soon as you restrict yourself, your, it does so much damage to, well, diets, physically, mm. um, but mentally and emotionally. You know, if someone, if your partner was saying to you, you're not allowed to do that. Yeah. That's, anyone that's who knows, not healthy. Anyone who knows me, that's my trigger. Since someone says I can't do that, it's like, well, you exactly. show you. Here you go then. I'm <laughs> so, going to do it on purpose. Yeah, if you want me to do something, tell me I'm not allowed to do it. Exactly. So it's, um, yeah, how I'm not in jail, it was beyond me. And we, <laughs> no, we, need, yeah. we need to work out our, our yeah. triggers and our activators and, What's going to help us? So if you know that a certain thing stresses you, um, say you've got a certain meeting once a week mm. and it just happens to stress you for whatever reason. Actually, she calls it my defiance disorder. I was just trying to think of what she called it. That's so, exactly what yeah, it is. And she said our youngest, uh, Jeremy, he's, uh, she reckons he's got the same. He's uh, the two of your pieces of two pieces. Of it absolutely is that. Yeah. The... Um, I oh, just in, just in regards to that sort of you know being told that if you can't you know do something you do yeah people like you and I will yeah. go and do it even if we don't want to oh that's right just to prove we can yeah exactly right 
So that's actually how I did my first triathlon. Uh, I was talking about in 1984, the Big Apple Mesa triathlon. Yeah, my dad said, I don't think you could finish that. He was like, I'll show you. Now, he I knew. Oh, absolutely, he knew. <laughs> so that's how he always knew to get the best out of me. And, you know, and I, I, I did, and I did really well. And it was just like, hmm. You know, so he, he knew I could. Yeah. But the, to actually get me motivated to do and do it to the best way possible, he had to tell me that he didn't think I could. You know, so, um, yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, he was my biggest supporter. He wasn't somebody who was negative and put me down. He just knew how to get he the best out absolutely. of me. Yeah, so, um, but, but you need to find what works for you. So if chocolate used to be your thing, what now? You, you need to have five things on hand that you know help you with stress yeah. immediately. Yeah, yeah. As soon as you're stressed. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to be able to do them. Yeah. Well, first of all, I know that. In all honesty, I um I know it's not stress, and I don't actually you know I actually know it's not stress. I know it's just me trying to make an excuse to go and have a piece of chocolate. <laughs> so because realistically, like well, 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 it was actually more the fact of that I knew that at the end of the day it was like my brain was that tricking me into doing that, so that I it was just there's a trigger now that that's happened, this will happen, and then you get your piece of chocolate as a as a reward for yeah. that to stop, and it's so. It, it wasn't stress. It was just basically myself playing mind games on myself. Yeah, it became, it became a bad yeah. habit. The, you, you do, we spoke about earlier as well off air, but you do and have predominantly uh, worked with men uh, of all ages and things like that. But we spoke off air, one of the reasons why, which I was quite intrigued by, you, you spoke about men needing help. Uh, yep. in today's day and age and things like that as well. And we didn't use the word before, but I'm going to raise the word because I want to see what you think about it, is that there's there's a thing in like, for example, of male masculinity. Mm-hmm. Then there's toxic masculinity, which is just horrendous, obviously. Uh, and you've spoken openly to me about that and your experience there. But then there is just masculinity, which is actually a good thing with males as well, but also males looking to find themselves in the world today, whereas, for example, you know, my grandfather fought in World War II. Uh, my father had a very tough life. He was, a, you know, an orphan after World War II, and he grew up in an orphanage. And myself and my mum didn't have a good life either, but myself and my sister had a wonderful life. You know, them coming out of here and working really hard. So, so now my father was not a you know a masculine man by any means. He wasn't you know he was one of the most loving gentlemen he could ever meet. But his father fought in World War Two. Yes. You know, so he, he had guns. He was shooting at people. Completely different over three generations and four generations. If I'm looking at my children, completely different how it's all changed. You spoke about working with men and helping them, yeah. you know, identifying who they are. Can you give a bit of a background on that? Why? Yeah. Uh, and how you do draw the best out of it, of males, of all different sort of perspectives as well. I think, um, look, I've always had a lot of male friends, mm. I think, being a bit of a tomboy and liking sport. Yeah. Um, and over the last maybe mostly 10 years, mm. I've really seen a change in society and the way we treat men. Yeah. And... I have been through a domestic violence relationship and when I healed from that, all I could think was, well, the only way to help this situation is to help men be their best. Mm. You can't punish people to positivity. Yeah. And we punish men a lot in in our society. Even men who actually haven't done anything wrong. Absolutely. Even men who haven't done anything wrong are currently wondering, should I open the door for 
<laughs> yes. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I agree. Totally. And, and you know, they, they are, it's no wonder that they're quite confused. Yeah. With, you know, where am I in society and apparently I'm well, toxic half the time. It's actually something that I've just always done because it's how I was raised. I do it for people. But all of a sudden am I, you know, frowned upon, you know, and it's like, for example, we're talking about the different de- demographics of postcodes and like you know, where I swim with Fitzroy Pool, it's a very different demographic there than, say, where I live or working here in the city. And you could be growled at for opening the door yeah. uh, for somebody at Fitzroy. Whereas, you know, where I live in Kew, somebody might just acknowledge and say, thank you. You know, so, you know, what you, another I, human. yeah, and uh, I think that's the case of another human. Like, as an example, I was taught as a young boy, you always let your older go first. You know, so it's, uh, you know, so if I open the door for someone, it doesn't matter whether it's a male or a female, if they're there first, you let them go through Absolutely. first. You know, if so they're carrying things, if they're walking in really high heels and they look like they're fired. Yeah. There are a million different reasons. I'm not giving them a pretty piggyback. But I actually I don't think there's anything as toxic masculinity. Yeah. I don't there is toxic behaviour of people. Yes, absolutely. Both Men and women. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I've seen that. So, but to just label everything toxic masculinity is, I think, incredibly dangerous for men. Yeah. Because you're, you're shaming them and guilting them for things they haven't done. Men, men tend to be, and by all means, correct me if this isn't, if you don't believe, if, you know, you disagree with this, but when it comes to, say, violence in general, Mm -hmm. men tend to be more physically violent, certainly with each other. Yes. Uh, They tend to be more physically violent. Women tend to be more emotionally violent. Yes. Um, I'm not just saying towards men. I can be bullying other women online or girls online and things like that as well. Is that something that you've experienced? And and when I say experienced, in respect to the world where a man might feel like he has to physically defend himself or those he loves, whereas a woman can just be um, quite, you know, verbally, verbally violent without necessarily understanding that that might be violence as well yeah absolutely i think society has put a huge um focus on physical violence mm. which of course it's needs to be yeah there. that's right of yeah. course it does yeah but you know we also need to look at the fact that you know both men and women can be so hideous to each other and emotionally and mentally abusive yeah, yeah. um and yes absolutely you know women we generally, in general, mm. tend to not hit each other and, yeah. and do these things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but absolutely over the years there's been some extraordinary circumstances that if that was a male friend of mine, he probably just would have come up and spoken to me face to face and yeah. you know, said, I've got an issue with you. Well, once again, though, that seems to be getting worse now when people are always typing abuse to each other. And I was talking to some. Now I just say, like, say it to my face. Well, well, that's the point. I was, I was actually talking about that to um, somebody just uh, yesterday, a good friend of mine who uh, she is the chair of. Uh, you've actually met her online, Maria, but she's okay. actually she's actually the chair of uh, Safe and Equal Domestic Violence, looking after women. And we were speaking about that. Uh, just we had a great conversation last night, and I said, well. One of the one of the things is Maria, you know, who's five years or so older than me. I said, 
when we were growing up, I know you're teased as the Greek immigrants and, you know, and, and, you know, there were some people that bullied me, some people wouldn't go near me, but growing up, it was a case of you knew not to say that to that guy because you would most likely get punched in the face. Absolutely. Yeah. So if it, if it was more of a case of, I'm not going to have a smart mouth or be an idiot out of fear of that guy punching me in the face because I know he would. And who taught them Peterson? Yeah. That, yeah. You know, men have a consequence. Yeah, that's for right. For too much of a jerk. Yeah, but, but online now, everyone just types it anonymously. And what I found interesting, so I was listening to a podcast uh, about uh, the cancel culture and even journalists being cancelled last night oh, yeah. um, on the podcast Trigonometry. And one of the things she actually said was when she was writing this book about the cancel culture and when she interviewed people who wrote very abusive things online and said, well, Nance, you know, um, in February last year, you wrote this online, did I? They don't remember it. Yeah. But if they said it face to face, they would. And that was that was the interesting part was, well, first of all, they wouldn't say that face to face, but they, they typed it online, but it's like, they typed it to somebody they don't know, I've never met, and honestly, some some feral Twitter post or something yeah. like that, and then just moved on. Don't think about the necessarily the consequences to what goes to that person, things like that. So, I think when it, when it comes to that dealing with it, where men would bottle up a lot of stuff nowadays, whereas they will vent to a perfect stranger online and call them an idiot and all the names under the world because there's there's not that fear of, as Jordan Peterson said, being punched in the face. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. I think. It's so detrimental yeah. for society. But it is detrimental, and then it goes back to, if we go back to the work that you do, for men in general, it is unbelievably detrimental in society because if you don't have your mental health or mental clarity, uh, you're not going to have your physical health, you're not going to have good relationships, you're not going to have good Absolutely. relationships with your The rate of men's suicide is yeah. astounding. Oh, and and it's, it, we I work with a lot of veterans and it's even worse there. Yeah. yeah. It's just not good enough that we're not putting in strategies yeah. to help men um, and women yeah. get through some very tough challenges, especially over the last few years. Yeah. So, you know, you can't take things away from people that make a society strong yeah. and not implement things that are going to help them. So let's talk about then the, the process of what you do uh, in respect to coaching. Yeah. Uh, so it's because it, it's not just okay. We're going. You want a six pack? We're going to get you to eat broccoli and do sit ups. Definitely not. No. So it's um, and you are very, very uh, physically healthy yourself. Yeah. Uh, and also mentally very sharp too. So obviously mentally healthy also. So from that perspective, how do you work with your clients? What do you do? Give us give us an idea. And I know every client can be different, Absolutely. and and you're flexible with respect to the way you work with them because it's about what their needs are. Yes. But can you give us some ideas and give give our audience some ideas? of what you do to help. Absolutely. So first of all, it's all about me spending time understanding what's really going on for them. Yeah. So that's... Do they know a lot of the times of what they think it might be actually something even deeper or... Oh, it's always... Yeah, okay. Something deeper. Yeah. You know, they'll say, oh, I'm doing this and this and this and this is going wrong. Yeah. Okay, but why is that happening? I find that um, with this online behaviour... We've lost our curiosity. We've become super judgmental very quickly, and we've lost the ability to say, "Why? Why do you do that? What's what's going on?" Well, I actually got off Twitter because I found it so feral. Yeah, see. Yeah, it was just so feral. I just could not say, and I actually just closed my account. Yeah. And and it, when you read that a lot, it does create negative pathways in your brain. It does. 
and the algorithms just kept pushing that to me because yeah. that's what I looked at thinking you must be kidding uh, or I stupidly interacted with and then I'm just fed with that through the algorithms yeah. and yeah, I just have to close it down for so, my own mental health. Yeah, well, absolutely you do. Yeah, well, even even I was banned at home from watching uh, Q&A because there's, there's only so many times you can swear at the TV saying, are you an idiot? <laughs> so it's, uh, like me. Yeah, so it's just like, are you got to be joking? And it's just like... So I just got banned from watching it. And life, and in actual fact, I don't watch any commercial TV anymore. I don't yeah, read any newspapers yeah. anymore, except the AFR. I read the Australian Financial Review, plus my occupation, you'd hope so. so yeah, so, But otherwise, yeah. I'd, otherwise, I don't read any newspapers anymore, and I don't read, and I don't watch mainstream media or mainstream news. And, I haven't for years. And I and quite enjoy podcasts. And yet but I'm, I'm, still, I'm still informed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the interesting thing, isn't it? I'm just not. Yeah. People have... Yeah. So, okay, so why why would someone like me reach out to you in the first place uh, in respect to wanting to become a client? What would what would be going on in my life for me to think I could probably use a second opinion, somebody who doesn't necessarily know me to start with, and so there's no biases. When you yeah. first meet me, there's no you don't have any biases on me because you don't really know much about me. So, so from that aspect. How, how do I engage? Why would I engage you in the first place? What would I be looking for? And then how would you then start working with me in respect to, you know, coming to your own conclusions after working with me of areas that maybe it will help me? Absolutely. Um, usually, so people will either ask about my services or introduce themselves. Because I'm assuming most of them will refer to you from existing, yes. from existing clients, yeah. Um, and sometimes it's actually just, off LinkedIn, okay. you know, they've seen me on quite a few people. That's what we've met. Exactly, yeah, seen me exactly. on LinkedIn yeah, and said, oh, hey, yeah. private message. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's just, look, I can't shift this weight and I feel older than I really am. Yeah. Sometimes it's I've been diagnosed with this and it's serious mm-hmm. or my marriage is falling apart and I know that I need to be better but I don't know how. Yeah. I don't know how to have more energy. I don't know how to be more attentive. Yeah. I don't know how to be my best. Yeah. You know, my are my old best days mm-hmm. behind me. Yeah. So there's a myriad of different reasons. Um, but as we discussed before, it's about what do you need at this time? Do you need community? Do you need one-on-one coaching? You know, and it's also we need to spend some time together and actually go through a consultation. And I need to learn as much about you as I possibly can. Men are notorious for not opening up. So how do yes. you get them to open up? Men are great at opening up when they understand they've got a safe place. Yeah, okay. When there's no judgment, when um, when if they know it's confidential. You're not going to be told off or abused. Exactly. Yeah. When you can just speak how you want, you can be yourself, you can swear, you can you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I really want to get to know you and what's going on with you. Yeah. So when men know they've got a safe space, they might not be that great at it mm-hmm. at first. Yeah. But when you know how to ask the right questions and you're genuinely curious, it naturally goes down a path yeah. of them learning how to open up more and them learning that um, to process and release your emotions does not mean you need to be an emotional wreck. It means the opposite. Yeah. It means it just means that you're not carrying around that thing from 20 years ago and you're still holding on to it and, you know, drinking at night because of it. Okay. 
yeah. yeah. So men are actually so be present in the now then. Yes. Yeah. Men are actually that they just need the strategies to do it without the judgment and. Men are a lot more powerful than they think. Well, I got told once uh, with the Irish heritage in general, the Irish from my mother's side, but um, the Irish are renowned for holding on to grudges. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's, uh, I thought, that's interesting. And then what about my father's side? Yeah, I prefer that. They, his, his background is renowned for forgiveness. Really? Yeah, and I said, well, I, I want to try and identify more facts if I can. So, Absolutely. Yeah, so it's uh, – but, yeah, and and – the interesting part of when I was told that is certainly in my younger days, I was notorious for holding on to a grudge. It's like, you know, I will not forget, <laughs> no type of thing. And I was notorious for it. And as a result of that, I probably made quite a few decisions in life that uh, could have turned out far better if I wasn't holding on to a grudge, something that happened to me by somebody else previously. Absolutely. Do you know what I mean? Yep. This this girl hurt me, and I carry that into my next three relationships. Yeah, and they have done nothing, you know. So it's uh, or something like that. So but that's funny because you didn't have the emotional knowledge and the strategies to let it go. And absolutely, a lot yeah. of people still think, well, I I can't forgive because that's letting you off the hook. It's got nothing to do with that. Mm. It's got everything to do with letting yourself off the hook, of yeah. carrying that poison around. Yeah. So we have. Actually, a lot of really, um, we, we have a lot of habits and beliefs in our society that don't serve us at all. Yeah. And, you know, we've been taught this as we've grown up, and that's fine. But we need a lot more people in the world helping people to re-educate them on yeah. what emotional health really is. Yeah. It's not feminine. It's not woo-woo. It's real. Yeah. It's tangible. It's, there's strategies. Yeah. And you do it in a way that suits you. Yep. So I, I think there's a a massive gap at the moment in people feeling seen and heard, mm-hmm. um, people feeling judged because, you know, social media is great for that, mm-hmm. um, and people judging themselves, yeah. you know, for what they see on social media, yeah. even, even knowing it's probably fake. Yes. I call it, you know, the real life compared to real. Yeah. The reals. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually think we need to get back to connection and compassion and care and curiosity very quickly over the convenience that this social media has brought us. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So in closing, if we're to, you know, as, as a, now middle-aged man, I was 75 to 105, so I've got 51 years to go. That's so, nice. yes, yeah, so it's, um, uh, but I don't want to, I don't want to go down the route that my father went down. My father was a happy, beautiful man, but I think he just kept in a lot of his trauma that he had and didn't, and didn't open up and communicate. I remember my mum once saying that my mum, my mum was definitely the, hard, tough person in our household. She was the authoritarian okay. and she was the boss without any doubt. And it's, um, uh, there was, you never got asked twice by my mum. <laughs> so let's put it that way. And, and there was, uh, you can be as cheeky as you want, but if you crossed the boundaries, you knew. Uh, but from that perspective, I remember my mum saying, the devil could come in and have a cup of tea with your father and he, the devil would walk out confused saying, I'm not too sure just what happened then. And dad would say, wasn't he a lovely gent? Because <laughs> he never saw fault or he never saw fault or anything in anyone, which I think sometimes bugged my mum because she's the Irish and she could hold a grudge. Yes. You know, so it's, uh, but 
But I also saw the demise of my father's health when uh, he ended up having a bad a bad business partner, uh, but he ended up having a stroke at 62 and a heart attack at 64 and triple bypass in the last six years of his life, Alzheimer's. This is a man who never drank, never smoked, okay. and was the happy, he just wanted everyone to be happy. That was his sort of purpose, very competitive, but still wanted everyone to be happy, and that was his purpose in life in some type of ways. That is that is a demise. I don't want to put anyone that I'm connected with in life to have to have to care for me in Alzheimer's. What my mum went through, she was an angel the way she looked after dad. Uh, during that, she did not want him to go into a home, even though yeah. he should have long before. That's now she finally put him in. But I don't want to put anyone through that. So for our listeners who, uh, whether they're 18 year old males or 54 year old males who want to live for another 51 years. What is it? What is the first thing that we should be thinking of in respect to before we make that effort to reach out to you? What is it that you want us to start thinking about uh, when we reach out to you and say, Nance, this is me. How can you help? You know, in other words, I don't think I'm a basket case, but I think yeah. I can improve. Absolutely. I think you really need to look at is your life where you really want it to be? Mm-hmm. Are you really the person you think you are? Yeah. Um, and can you look at yourself in the mirror and really say, I like who you are. Mm. You're a good person. And there's a difference between a nice guy and a good man. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think it's really important to just be self-aware enough to say, I, I really, I don't like where I am. I, I want this to change. I, mm. I don't know how. And I think a lot of people put pressure on themselves to know how. Yeah. But how could how on earth could you possibly know without actually purposefully going and looking mm. into this? Yeah. We're not taught this at school. Yeah. We're not taught this through the years. Um, so if if you can just have a re- just be very self aware and think, where am I at the moment compared to where I really want to be? Just be honest with yourself. Yeah. Um, and just know that whatever you're going through, there is help, and it's not that there's help. Um, or if I, you know, if I really have to, I will. Yeah. These people want to help you. Yeah. Yep. They, they're there because they love helping people. Yeah. And they want you to call them and they would not sleep at night if they thought you were in distress. Yeah. Not calling and not reaching out. Yeah. So, um, just take the pressure off yourself and be okay with not being okay. Yeah. And be okay with saying, I need help to get where I want to go. Beautiful. Okay, we're going to end it on there, Nance, and thank you so much for coming in. Uh, we put a link to your LinkedIn page on, on this podcast, so yeah, and people can just reach out to you through Absolutely. a private message on LinkedIn. That's mm-hmm. wonderful. Nance, thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. Pleasure. The Coffin Bond Podcast is a product from Coffin Bond & Co, which we are an authorised representative of Gown Financial. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of the Coffin Bond Podcast are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decision, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. 
do not take financial advice from the podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Kofkin Pond website, or you can find resources on the ASIC website and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Kofkin Bond and Co. and the host of the Kofkin Bond podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.